what should we do about failing utilities? What's to be done about Thames Water, about network rail and the Royal Mail in particular? Well, there are two ways of going about this. The first one is to grasp the nettle in each case, sort them out, get the structures right, reset the game for them and give us a framework for the next 20, 30 years for each of them. The second one is to fudge it for fear of foreign investors and for fear of government borrowing and for fear of the politics. And right now, all three of these confront government, but nowhere is the problem so immediate as it is with Thames Water. The problem's pretty straightforward. We know what to do if a utility fails to deliver on its license commitments and if it can't raise the money to carry out what's required. It's straightforward. We have a special administration regime. We call in the special administrator and they sort the problem out. And that's the rules of the game. And that's what everybody understands is the backstop framework. And frankly, it's pretty clean and straightforward in principle. And in particular, in the case of Thames Water, it's the right way to go. And if we do go down that route, everybody else in all the other utilities will have further confidence that this is what we do when things go badly wrong. The problem with Thames is it's enormous. It is a huge utility, one of the biggest water utilities in the whole of Europe. It has 10 million customers or so. It covers the capital city. And crucially, it is almost overwhelmingly owned by foreigners. Not completely, but mostly. And these foreigners have become absolutely essential to financing investment in this country. Why? Well, we don't save almost anything in this country. Net savings, taking account of capital depreciation over the last couple of decades, has been pretty close to zero in this country. We borrow to cover the fact that our imports exceed our exports. We borrow to cover the government's deficits. Industry does not reinvest retained earnings on balance and us consumers strapped with affordability are not known for our thrift and savings. So we've decided that we're going to access foreigners to pay our way and foreigners to do the investment. And once you do that, and once your whole investment programs, including net zero, depend upon foreign investment, you have a big problem. Because if you do things, in particular cases, they don't like, if you inflict damages on them in cases where there is regulatory failure, it's always possible that they pick up their toys, their money, and say, you know what, I'd rather invest in the EU or I'd rather invest in the US. We don't need to invest in the UK. Investment in the UK is a voluntary activity for foreign investors and indeed for UK investors too. And so either the government and the regulators play a gentle game and allow uh, the companies to 
uh, earn their returns and make profits, uh, irrespective almost of performance, or, well, you know, don't come back to us and ask for more money. We are beholden on the kindness of strangers, and those strangers have many, many other options out there. It's something that hasn't dawned on Labour with respect to the net zero policies, but I'm sure it's dawned on the Treasury in respect of the implications of what's going on in the water sector right now. In fact, Network Rail is the government that backstops it, and, well, you know, that's foreign borrowing too. Royal Mail's a different case, and I'll briefly come back to that at the end. So what should we do with Thames? And what would give a clear regulatory signal to the whole water sector and across the utilities? Is it really true that investors from overseas would want to see essentially the leaning on government to deliver what perhaps they may not be entitled to in order to keep the foreign investors happy? Or would it be better to be absolutely clear, consistent and predictable about what happens in the case of failure? Well, what should happen in Thames is pretty straightforward. If the investors don't want to come to the table and they don't want to support their programmes going forward, if the capital maintenance has gone seriously wrong, then you call in a special administrator. Now, it's true that in the short term, the special administrator would need the backstop of government, but actually the special administrator regime need not cost us anything. It's essentially a question of uh, taking over the assets and passing them on to other owners. Marginal cost of providing the services close to zero. Uh, revenues will always cover those operating costs. So where's the problem? Well, there may be a problem because some people believe that effectively what the government is doing is committing to making sure debtors never lose. In other words, that it's the equity that's at risk through special administration, but the government will always honour the debt. Well, that might be true. And what it tells you is that the debt in the utilities is essentially gilts and effectively it's government-backed and equivalent to the government essentially raising the cash directly by selling bonds and then providing the money to the utilities. If that is the rule of the game, best to be clear about it. But it does have major implications for the question of whether these things are genuinely privatised or not. The problem in the Thames case is it's 80% geared. So even if you wipe out all the equity in the business, there's still the question about whether the 80% debt would stand the pressure of what's required to be done. My guess is it probably would. But we don't know yet because it's been for the special administrator to look at the depths of the problem and the spending shortfalls and the failures of the capital maintenance. But special administration is a kind of administrative thing that you do, but it raises the question, as it did when RailTrack failed, as to what you want the business to become. And when Network Rail was set up, it was essentially a fudge to carry on rail track as it was before. And as we can see, that model is far from successful. In the case of Thames, a special administrator has 
a really great opportunity to reset Thames Water as a whole and create a framework which could endure for 20 or 30 years going forward. What would that require? Well, the obvious thing to do is to say this business is too big. And indeed, right now, the, the, the issue is whether it's too big to fail. Fail it has, but whether or not governments can face up to the consequences and regulators are allowed to do their job, as I say, remains to be seen. So if it's too big to fail or it's just too big, break it up. Let's have London Water as a city water business, capital city water business, like most other capital cities in Europe. And let's split off Greater Thames Water, which would be the rest of the Thames area. Both businesses will be large and both could be floated and some equity injected into them from public markets as opposed to just another sovereign wealth fund stroke private equity fix. That's a choice, but splitting it is crucial. Then the question is, is splitting it enough? And that raises a really interesting possibility as to whether we really need to have water and sewage in the same business. My hunch is that the way the world's moved on in the water sector is we no longer have to have these things together. So we could split the sewage out from the water bit and split the business into two geographical areas. Great advantage of that is it would really focus on where the problems and the fundamental financial issues are, which is sewage, and that would keep it quite separate financially from operating the water business, which is a much more straightforward and less capital-intensive business going forward. It also opens up the possibility of dealing with this big problem of the massive investment programme, very large investment programme needed to upgrade the sewage system in the UK, particularly in England and Wales, and to address how to deal with that in a regulatory fashion, given it's a big chunk of investment. My hunch would be that if sewage was kept separate from water, we could have a Thames Tideway kind of arrangement. We could have a package arrangement for a 10 or 15 year improvement program with a uh, regulatory framework for that period, rather than what is increasingly acronistic, which is the idea of just having five-year periods and bundling all this stuff together. Addressing the structure splits out the problems, shines the torch on each component part, and enables the funding issues to be sorted out for the areas where they are going to emerge and for the areas where it's more straightforward well, to have a more straightforward regime. That's what ought to happen. Structure is also something that we should address for network rail and for the Royal Mail. Network rail is not a great organisation. It's not doing well on any count. And that's widely accepted to be the case. That's why the William Shapps reforms were suggested, and these may well be good structural options. But here, it's also important to bear in mind how the train operators and the track could be brought into some more rational and integrated fashion. Time to grasp that nettle. Otherwise, we'll just bumble on with a railway that's failing to deliver what customers expect and which is subject to 
perfectly understandable financial restrictions from the Treasury, given how big a drain it is on taxpayers going forward. When it comes to the Royal Mail, it's a big structural issue as to why letter delivery is bundled together with a global parcels business. The letters probably in the delivery service should go with the post office rather than with this uh, logistics business that the Royal Mail has increasingly developed. It's a public service and it should be treated as such. But pretending you can piggyback the revenues from parcels to bail out a delivery service which is increasingly unbalanced between costs and the amount of uh, mail is being delivered, that, that's just not going to work. All of this brings us to the final point. Are foreign investors going to stomach this? Well, my take is that clarity, action, serious rebasing for 10, 20 years is something which would make the British regulatory system more rather than less credible. And put it another way around, if the approach is, well, we know what we should do, but, you know, we can't do it for the fear of foreign investors. If that's the approach, my guess is that these problems are going to go on and on and on. And we'll have one little crisis after another, and eventually we'll have to do the structural stuff and rebase. Better to do it now rather than later. But sadly, past historical evidence suggests that the opposite will happen. A bit more patch, a bit more sticky plasters, a bit more fudge, a bit more fear of what foreign investors might do and hope the problem will go away at least till somebody else is in power and has to deal with it. That's not the way we should go. That's not the route to modernising the British economy and it's not the route to greater productivity. So the test is out there. Let's see what happens. Thank you very much.